I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, April 29th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, health officials continue their vaccination campaign as variants of the coronavirus grow more present in the Magnolia State. Then federal applications for financial assistance to attend colleges and universities is down compared to last year. We examine the factors with Get to College. Plus, in today's book club, meet Mississippi's new poet laureate, Catherine Pierce. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's health officials say coronavirus transmission is still a concern as the state's seven-day rolling average rose above where it was earlier this month. State epidemiologist Dr. Paul Byers says a more easily transmitted variant is showing up across the state now, causing a steady trend of infections. We are still seeing variants in Mississippi. Obviously, this is one of the main components of our surveillance now. We've identified Uh, almost 350 cases of variant strains of the SARS-CoV-2 virus in Mississippi today. The vast majority of those have been the UK variant, um, which is now estimated to be the predominant strain in the U.S. We've seen over 300 cases of the UK variant in Mississippi. The good news is when we talk about vaccination, is the vaccines that we have right now have been shown to be effective against the variant strains and not only preventing infection, but more importantly, with prevention of the severe outcomes, hospitalizations, and potentially deaths that can occur as a result of COVID infection. The concern over variants is paired with a slowing vaccination rate. Only one quarter of the state's population is fully vaccinated, and weekly doses have been on the decline since the first week of April. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says the state has addressed access challenges, but recognizes reaching younger adults is the key to increase vaccination rates. I don't think it's entirely unexpected. Um, I would rather we not be trailing off 
you know, we still see the just the phenomenal value. Uh, uh, you know, we'll continue to work to get as many doses out there as we can. For the vast majority of Mississippians, it's not an access issue. There are more access points than there ever have been. So please, there's somewhere near, somewhere nearby you. But there, but for some folks, there are access issues, and so we're working aggressively, setting up additional partnerships. We have um, a health equity team that's working on this specifically, especially for rural areas, underserved areas. So we're going to hit hard where we can, and then we just really want to get all Mississippians to get in the boat and, and and kind of pull along with us in the same direction. It's not time to give up, and anything that anyone can do, everyone here today, please do your job, do your best to make sure that every Mississippian is protected against COVID who can be. State health officers are continuing their vaccination campaign. One useful tool is revised CDC guidance regarding those who have been vaccinated. Dr. Byers says people should understand vaccines are the quickest path toward a return to normal. It's going to be important for us when looking at our vaccination efforts to continue to push forward. Vaccine is the way for us to get back to a more normal um, environment in our daily life. In Mississippi, we have now administered uh, over 1.6 million doses of vaccine. Of those, 940,000 individual Mississippians have received at least one dose of Moderna or Pfizer vaccine or one dose of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Of those, an additional 769,000 Mississippians are fully vaccinated, which means in Mississippi right now, 29% of our total population in the state have received at least one dose. 24% of our total population throughout the state have now been fully vaccinated. The state is also reauthorizing use of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine following last week's advisory from the CDC. Dr. Dobbs says residents should be made aware of the risks, but notes the rare blood clots associated with the vaccine are far more rare than deaths from COVID-19. Things that are important to know about this number of, of, of rare events is that it's been pretty much entirely within women and primarily within uh, women less than 50, and then concentrated in women in the ages of of the 30-year age group. So it's a relatively narrow risk window. But the the number of people, if we consider, is is very rare. It's about 1.9 per million. And I would like to compare that with the rate of death from people diagnosed with coronavirus in the age group of 25 to 39. And within that age group, the risk of death is 1.9 per 1,000, right? compared to risk of this rare blood clotting disorder, which is going to be 1.9 per million. So we're seeing several orders of magnitude difference in the risk. However, acknowledging that that risk is there, we did send out guidance to clinics and physicians to, um, if they so choose to offer Johnson & Johnson to their patients to, number one, make sure they're counseled on the risks, especially if they're uh, under the age of 50 and, and women, make sure that they understand that there are highly effective alternatives. The Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine are available if they choose to do that is a a different choice and um, give them the FDA uh, EUA fact sheet so that each patient can have information available to know what the risk is. Again, the risk is very low, but it is there. We want people to have information to make the proper choice going forward. 
Dobbs also says while some demographics in the state are trailing the national rate for vaccinations, Mississippi has done well to protect vulnerable citizens. He says part of the problem is residents live in a state of illness rather than a state of wellness. If you look at the percentage of people over 65 who've been vaccinated, you know, we're, we're really quite in the middle of the pack. And I think we're doing quite well. That's going to be where our biggest impact is. We knew that we were going to have trouble uh, getting younger folks immunized. Um, it's the same thing that we have seen with flu shots and other things. So that's going to be a continued uphill climb, especially now that we're seeing pretty modest numbers of COVID and very few deaths. The urgency is not there. But the COVID pandemic is not over. We have variants coming. We have a, a good number of people who are non-immune, so we don't need to give up the fight. There are numerous sort of measures that we look at as far as um, our vaccine success. Number one is going to be protecting the vulnerable folks, and I think we're doing pretty well at that. Number two, though, is getting the broad population immunized. You were having a bit of a struggle. Again, it's not a surprise. We know that we live in a state that really uh, seeks medical attention when people are sick. We have, a, we have a basically a state of illness, not a state of wellness. It's something that transcends even coronavirus. It's something that we need to work on. It's something that's it's rooted in our sort of healthcare traditions as far as, um, you know, how do we seek care? So it's not simply it's not something that a catchy jingle on a TV commercial is going to make people go out and get vaccinated. It's a structural foundational challenge that's going to take a long time to work on. Coming up, federal applications for financial assistance to attend colleges and universities is down compared to last year. We examine the factors with Get to College. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Fewer Mississippi high school seniors are filing for federal aid this year compared to last. That's according to data from the U.S. Department of Education. The completion rate for the free application for federal student aid, or FAFSA, is down nearly 9% in the Magnolia State, higher than the 6.5% decline nationwide. Less than 25% of estimated high school graduates from many Delta counties have not yet completed the application. Stephen Brown is with Get to College. He explains the contributing factors of the drop with our Michael Guidry. Traditionally, and for the last several years, we've done something called FAFSA days at the um, at the high schools across the state, where we would actually visit the school in person in the computer lab and assist parents and students in um, completing their FAFSA. That day, that day would be set aside just for that particular high school. And um, like I said, we've done it all over the state, and really, we have done we've been doing about a third of all the FAFSA completions just within our staff. Um, across the state. So, and with us being, um, having to do things virtually due to COVID, we were still doing FAFSA days, but we were just, once again, doing them virtually over Zoom. And for some parents, if they're not computer savvy, that can still be a barrier if we're not there right in front of them doing it in person. And just a lot of students deciding if they even want to pursue college when they graduate because they don't know if they're going to be in person or if they're going to have to do it online. 
there was just a lot of variables uh, with this year. So just the fact that we're only 9% lower than we were last year is actually awesome. And, and once again, like you said, we are we are number 20 in the country in uh, fast completion and ahead of the national average because we're at 48.1% in the state and the national average is 47.1%. Like I said, it's, it's variables, but we're just trying to adapt. You mentioned that not only is there an access you know, issue with you not being able to get into schools as, as much as you used to, but that there is a hesitancy and uh, almost a reluctance from, from students because of the unknown, uh, not knowing what exactly. college is going to look like. How are you able to kind of assess uh, the degree to which that is affecting the FAFSA applications? So we definitely stay in touch with the university so we can make sure we get students the most up-to-date information. Um, so just make sure there's clear lines of communication about that, letting them know that the FAFSA is definitely still um, available to them, that they still can get federal aid. Um, and like I said, it's, it's mainly just clear and consistent communication. There's a lot of debunking of myths that, that goes into it as well. Um, and not only just with the FAFSA completion days, but we would previously have parent nights where we explain to these parents and sometimes first-generation students, this is what the FAFSA even is, and this is why it's important. Well, once you take away that as well, because you're not able to get into the schools, the FAFSA is a totally foreign concept to people who would have heard about it previously if we had been in the schools to, to discuss it. And for anyone considering higher education, you know, beginning in the fall of 2020, 2021, uh, the, the FAFSA is, is essential, correct? I mean, it, it has to be done. So technically, no. Uh, and, and the reason I say technically no is because there are some families that say, well, you know what, we, we already know we make too much money um, to qualify for a Pell Grant because that's a need-based grant. And we're not interested in taking out student loans. We're not going to have my kid do work study when he gets to school. We just want him to focus on school. So why do we even have to complete the FAFSA in the first place? And so while there are more and more schools who are making it a requirement saying, no, we still want you to complete the FAFSA, whether you're getting any uh, need-based aid or not, we still want it on file. Um, the way I always explain it to parents is say, okay, let's say your student wanted to go to the movies and I gave them 20 bucks. Well, you would want to know that I gave them movie money so that you don't have to give it to them too. And colleges are like, yeah, we have scholarships that we can give you, but first let's see if you're eligible for any free money from the government. So we'd rather spend their money first and then spend ours. And then once again, there's money from the state of Mississippi where there is no income you know, requirement. There are two programs from the state that, that aren't based on income, so students definitely still need to apply for that. We're seeing these low numbers. Is there an opportunity to get these numbers up? People are, as they kind of look ahead and maybe get a better idea of what they might want to do in the fall, is the FAFSA window still open? Yes, the window is definitely still open. I'm, so, I'm glad when I saw your, uh, your email earlier, I wanted to make sure we got a chance to clear that up. So the state of Mississippi has a grant called the HELP Grant where a student has at least a 20 on the ACT, they've taken all the appropriate classes, their parents make below a certain income, um, that the, and a 2.5 GPA, 
the HELP grant will pay their full tuition and fees all four years to any public school in the state of Mississippi. Now, that had a March 31st deadline for the actual application, and this is the Mississippi aid application. And then an April 30th deadline to submit all the supporting documentation. So this is, you know, you need to have your FAFSA completed by then. But the actual FAFSA deadline, really, for um, this upcoming school year, if you're going to be a student starting college in the fall of 2021, truthfully, that FAFSA doesn't close until June 30th of 2022. Everyone's been navigating the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, And you've you've accounted for how you know, the challenges that you've had uh, reaching students and parents about, you know, what it, what the FAFSA means, how to complete it, uh, the benefits of it. What have you learned throughout this process about the importance of the, that, that person-to-person contact and that accessibility when it comes to helping Mississippi families prepare for college? Well, I would say that it has been a gift and a curse. And I'll I'll start with the gift first. And the gift is that we have been able to reach a lot more people without transportation being a barrier because we've been doing so many more appointments virtually uh, because of the pandemic. So I might have a student from uh, from New Hope in Columbus, and then my very next appointment is a student from the Gulf Coast, and then next one, someone from the Delta. And I'm able to help all these students without the parents having to take off work or drive to the office or wait for the fast day at the school. So it's really made it, in that sense, more accessible because, like I said, transportation is no longer a barrier. Now, the curse side of it is because these people are are sharing with us very sensitive information about their finances and, and, uh, and so forth, and it's, I guess there's a different level of comfortability when you're able to be right next to someone as they're completing it or be able to look them in the eyes as they're, you know, uh, handling your sensitive information. Uh, we haven't had too much pushback, honestly, in regards to that because we have um, established a reputation of trust within the community, but that still, you know, there are some people who are a bit uneasy about it. And we will be taking more in-person appointments um, in the, during the summer. Stephen Brown, Assistant Director of Outreach, Get to College, Jackson Office. We appreciate you uh, and and the time and the information you were able to provide us. Absolutely. My pleasure. Anyone who wants to get in contact with us, they can just um, reach us at gettocollege.org or call 601-321-5533. Perfect. Thank you. Coming up in today's book club, meet Mississippi's new Poet Laureate, Catherine Pierce. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Some of the big names that travel up and down the highways, obviously Elvis and Johnny Cash, and you have Jerry Lee Lewis, Carl Perkins. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Johnny Cash suggested that Carl write a song called Blue Suede Shoes that was all kind of created with Aaron Amory. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is MPB Think Radio. 
Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi has a new poet laureate, and her name is Catherine Pierce. A native of Delaware, Pierce teaches creative writing at Mississippi State University and has published four books of poetry. She sat down with us to talk about her love of writing and what she hopes to accomplish during her four-year term. I've always loved writing. I remember writing a haiku in second grade about purple pansies, and I was so excited about it. I had it hanging out in my bedroom for, for a long time. And then when I got a little older, I started writing stories. I wrote a really lengthy horse novel when I was in sixth grade. Yeah, I've always really enjoyed writing. And it wasn't until I got to college that I realized that people could do this professionally, could do this in their lives. So in college, I started taking creative writing classes. And from there, I wanted to keep doing it. And so I went on to graduate school and I studied poetry in grad school. In doing that was teaching because I had a TA-ship and I learned through that how much I love being in the classroom. And so I just feel really lucky that I've been able to have those two loves in my life dovetail in that way so I can teach the thing that I love while doing the thing that I love. And it's really pretty amazing. How do you write a poem? What is the impetus for the subject or the style? What's the process? I think that different people come to poetry in different ways. But for me, poems often start with an image. I found that when I try to write poems from the starting point of an idea or a concept, those poems tend to fall kind of flat. But when I start with some kind of image that sparks me in some way, then those poems tend to be the ones that have energy to them and that I sort of feel the poem itself pulling me through the writing. And then I try to figure out what the stakes of the poem are. The image itself might be the jumping off point, but it's not enough, right? So I'm always thinking about so what? What's the, what's the answer to the so what question for this poem? Why does this matter? Why am I interested in this? And I really like poems that engage with questions sort of on the page. I talk to my students about the idea of thinking on the page in their writing. I think that poems don't have to offer an answer. They can, but they can also just engage with questions. They can be places for us to work through things that we are wondering about or trying to figure out. They're wonderful places for honesty, places for us to be honest with ourselves and try to kind of bring that to the page and and bring that tension and that texture to what we're writing. But I think also for me it all, it does all come back to imagery, to specificity, and to language. I love words. I think that all, all writers love words. And sometimes the words themselves are enough to kind of start a poem and provide that jumping off point. Do your poems resonate differently if they're read silently or read aloud? They do, and I I always read all of my poems out loud as I'm writing them. I think that poetry works best when it's read out loud. I think that it's so wonderful to get to hear poets read their own work because we experience it differently. It offers us a chance to really slow down. I think the poetry in general asks us to slow down, but I think especially when we hear someone reading their work out loud and we're not just sort of consuming it quickly on the page, but we're actually listening to them, then we hear each word a little bit differently, with a little bit more emphasis, with a little more space around it. That's, I think, a really important part of poetry for me. 
But I always read my poems out loud to myself as I'm composing them. You might hear the pacing of the poem in a different way, echoes and bits of musicality or where a poem needs more musicality. And also for me, I think a lot about where my own attention flags. If I'm reading one of my own poems out loud and I start to get bored somewhere, then I know that that's a problem because I wrote this poem. If it's starting to bore me, then that's a spot that I've got to go back to. (laughs) What is expected of you as Mississippi's Poet Laureate? It's a pretty open-ended description. The State Poet Laureate is tasked with supporting literacy and championing the arts throughout the state and with you know, writing uh, poetry for state events if it's called on to do so. What I'm really excited to do is to just connect with people across the state and help people to get excited about poetry, especially people who may have thought that poetry wasn't for them or didn't have anything to do with their lives. I'm also really excited to work with young people and to help them discover the joys and the pleasures of poetry early in their lives so they can carry that with them as they grow up. So I'm looking at various ways to to get involved with communities, and I'm working with the Arts Commission, the Library Commission, the Humanities Council, all of our wonderful state organizations. So I'm really excited about some of the things that we have planned. Catherine Pierce is the newly named Poet Laureate for the state of Mississippi. Congratulations, and thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you so much. Catherine's latest book of poetry is called Danger Days. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.